Let's open our Bibles, please, to the sixth psalm. Psalm 6. Just teaching these psalms verse by verse, and a lot of times word for word. Notice in this sixth psalm it says, verse 1, O Lord, rebuke me not in thine anger, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. I find that uh, these psalms are penitent psalms. They are songs of repentance. Uh, Psalm 6 and 32 and 38, 51, 102, 130, and 143. There are seven of them. 6, 32, 38, 51, 102, uh, 130, and 143. You find that godly sorrow works repentance, and it's acceptable unto God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, the Bible says, For godly sorrow worketh repentance unto salvation. So sometimes when we're most sorrowful, David said, O Lord, rebuke me not in thine anger, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. David was talking about God rebuking. Rebuking in anger would be certain death for any one of us. Job 36, verse 18. Let me read a scripture for you. Job 36, verse 18. It says this, Because there is wrath, beware lest he take thee away with his stroke. In a great ransom cannot deliver thee. If God would take us away with his stroke and rebuke us in anger, we'd be in for certain trouble, wouldn't we? And he says, Rebuke me not in thine anger, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. You know, it reminds me of uh, Adam and Eve when they had sinned. And uh, Adam and Eve had covered themselves and clothed themselves with fig leaves. And they were hiding amongst the trees of the garden. And the Bible says the voice of the Lord came uh, in the cool of the day. Have you ever thought about what, about what that means? In the cool of the day. He didn't come early in the morning as if anxious to bring judgment upon those two that had sinned and had broken his commandments. He didn't come in the heat of the day as if in the hot displeasure of his anger, in the height of his anger, to judge them. It says they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And God said, Adam, where art thou? Art thou? I hid myself amongst the trees of the garden. I was afraid. He says, what made you afraid? I heard thy voice and I was afraid. Let me read it for you. And the Lord called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice and I, uh, in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou was naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? Well, he knew that something had happened to break his fellowship with God, because God had told him that if he broke his commandments, he says, In the day that thou eatest thereof of this tree, thou shalt surely die. In fact, the actual wording is, dying thou shalt die. Man has a, is dying from the time of his birth. He's dying physically and he will die spiritually if he does not repent of sin and turn to God. So there was a sentence of physical death in his body already, dying thou shalt die. And there was also that spiritual death, which was separation from God. So he was spiritually dead, and he was dying physically, and had he remained in that condition, he would die eternally. 
see physical death as separation of the soul and the spirit from the body. We know what physical death is. And spiritual death is a separation, a spiritually separated from God. He was spiritually then already separated from God. And he had the sentence of physical death in him. And unless he'd repent of his sins, he would suffer eternal death, which is complete separation from God. So, uh, but God came to Adam. David says, O Lord, rebuke me not in thine anger. How much in keeping with God that is, isn't it? He's not going to rebuke us in his anger. If God would uh, loose his anger against sin and bring judgment, all of us would be in danger. We would all have to flee away and hide for cover, wouldn't we? And there's no hiding place from God's presence and power. Rebuke me not in thy anger. It would be certain death for David. And then notice the rest of verse 1. It says, chasten me, uh, chasten me. Neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. Chastening means correction. The Lord does correct his children. And he has to correct his children. You know, my parents had to correct me. And I'm sure yours did you. And we need to do ours. And then when they have children, they'll correct their own. Or at least they should. And down through the ages, it's been the... the uh, responsibility of fathers and mothers to correct children. And he says, neither uh, chasten me. Chasten means to correct. And sometimes we have to chasten. He says, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. God is not displeased with us when he chastens us. The Bible says, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Look in Hebrews 12. Let me read a few verses for you. Beginning with verse 6. It says, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Now look, if ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? And chastening can be in the form of uh, words to correct, or it can be in the form of, of uh, having to use a switch or uh, a belt or whatever to correct us when we're doing wrong. And it can be more severe sometimes than other. But he says, But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. In other words, they would not belong to God. They were, would be illegitimate. God chastens his own, not those that are not his own. So it says, Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. And he says, he scourgeth every son, verse 6, every son whom he receiveth. He corrects every one of us. There's not one without correction from God. He says in verse 9, furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? It's for our good that he chastens us. In verse 10, for they, that is the fathers of our flesh, for they verily... Uh, for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. But he, for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. God wants to make us better people. That we might be partakers of his holiness. Verse 11. Now, this is the point that we need to get. Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous. No one likes to get corrected. And especially if we have to be uh, switched a little bit or whipped. It says, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Naturally, it's grievous. But it says, 
Nevertheless, I want you to notice this very carefully. Every word of it's important. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Now then, here's the qualifying clause. Unto them which are exercised thereby. Unto them which are exercised thereby. It yields the right, uh, peaceable fruit of righteousness if you're exercised by that chastening. But if you're chastened and do not pay any attention to it, some people become more rebellious when they're chastened and corrected, and some people come, become submissive. Will be, we be submissive to God when He corrects us, or are we going to rebel? You know, I had two younger brothers, and I always like to tell this on them, and both of them are sweet guys at this present time. Bert, the older one accepted the Lord, and the younger one too, and uh, but... Bert was always getting into everything. I mean, everything. And Tommy, he usually got blamed for it, you know. So, and Tommy, he didn't get into very much. If he did, he got by with most of it. But anyway, uh, Bert, he was just always, he, he'd go down and he'd, he'd take an old key. My dad would have his car locked up. He'd take an old key and he'd take a, a triangle fire, three, a file, three-cornered file, and he'd file that thing out till he'd get it to fit the door, file it out again till he'd get it to fit the ignition, and drive Dad's car off. Dad'd be taking a nap. He had to go. He uh, slept in the afternoon because he had night duty, you know. And he'd look out there. He'd wake up four or five o'clock. Where's my car? My mother'd say, uh, "Well, Bert took it. Well, how'd he get it? Here's the keys." And come to find out, he'd make a key. And one day, I remember very uh, distinctly, well, he called from up there at Midway Garage. It used to belong to Bill Blakely years ago. And he called, and, and he says, Dad, he says, uh, I'm up here at the garage. He says, what are you doing there? He says, I'm having the starter overhauled. And Daddy had to go to work, and there he had the car in the garage because he had a little trouble starting the car. Well, anyway, Dad would just get on to him something terrible. And sometimes he just wouldn't pay any attention. But uh, unto them which are exercised thereby, we have to take the chastening or the correction to heart for it to do us any good. We have to be willing to be submissive and, and take the correction that's there for us if it's going to do us any good. All of us need this correction. Sin brings divine rebuke, and God cannot ignore sin even in His children. God cannot ignore sin even in you and I. And when we sin, He's going to chasten us. The Bible says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man, that's all men, any man, Christian or non-Christian, for whatsoever a man soweth, this is God's law of reaping and sowing. He says, Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. It says, they that sow to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. They that sow to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> so we must realize that God is, uh, that we need not be deceived. And God is not mocked because He knows all about it. The faithful pastor must rebuke sin. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, uh, chapter 4, verse 2, he said, preach the word. First in uh, verse 1, he says, Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. And then he said, Reprove and rebuke and exhort with all long suffering and doctrine, teaching. It's the preacher's job to, to preach the word, to reprove and rebuke, that's the negative side, and exhort, build up, with all long suffering 
and doctrine or teaching. So when you come to Brother Randy or myself and you say, well, this, you know, I did this. Well, you know, uh, and uh, God is chastening me. You have to realize that we're not going to say, well, you know, you shouldn't be chastened for what you're doing. We have, we have to say, well, you leave it in the hands of God and we repent and we turn to God, draw closer to God, and then things will work out. They'll be better. But if we, if we rebel unto them which are exercised thereby, the chastening, if we rebel, it's not going to do us any good. And the faithful pastor must rebuke the sinner, but he also must exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. I've seen pe- preachers get on this rebuking business and never get around to the exhorting business. It's got to be mellowed with uh, long suffering. Long suffering or suffering long and doctrine, teaching wherein the mistake was made and what we should do about it. Fine rebuke may mean denial. It may mean sickness. It may be, mean trouble. It may mean danger. It doesn't mean that in every instance that we suffer something wrong. Uh, Shami's already given me some questions written out, and I think some of these things we're saying tonight may help to, to uh, solve part of the problem. I don't say it's the full answer to questions, but we need to realize that we do not un- always understand whether something, the sickness that come, has come upon us or the suffering or the trials or the uh, unanswered prayers in our lives are a result of di- direct result of something we would not. Many times they're not. It, uh, many times it's God permitting us to go through these trials that he may refine us and make us better Christians. Remember, we studied the book of Job and he had terrible troubles and yet God was stood by him, didn't he? And he told his three friends, he says, you haven't done right concerning Job. And he says, now, if you'll get Job to pray for you, I'll forgive you. And they offered sacrifice. Remember the last chapter of Job? They offered sacrifices for uh, their sins. And Job prayed for them and interceded for them. And then God forgave them of all the words that they had brought against Job during his time of trial. And so I'm not going to be guilty of bringing... Uh, accusations that I don't know anything about and say, well, this is the reason you have this sickness or this is the reason you have this trial or this is the reason you have this problem. But God is able to speak to your heart and you can discern whether it's something that you've done or not. And and just uh, the main thing for you is to keep your heart open before the Lord and repent of sin and say, God, I don't understand it all, but I'm willing to be your servant. I'm willing to live for you and serve you. That's the attitude that we need. Is complete surrender and submissiveness to God. Because we can't understand why all these things happen. Uh, Paul says, if, if must needs uh, be, I will glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I want you to look at Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 10 and verse 24. It says, O Lord, correct me. Jeremiah 10 verse 24. O Lord, correct me. But with judgment, not in thine anger, lest thou bring me to nothing. Think, look at that verse. That's a great verse. Jeremiah says, O Lord, correct me. He wanted God to correct him. But he says, not in thine anger, uh, but with judgment, not in thine anger. I don't blame him. I'd go this route too, wouldn't you? With judgment. In other words, consider my need. Do you, you take care that you correct me in such a way that I'll understand it's your judgment. But not in thine anger. No. But he says, lest thou bring me to nothing. If he corrected in anger, he would bring us all to nothing. Let's turn to Psalm 103. Psalm 103. If you look down in verse um, 8, 8, it says, 
The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. Look, he is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. It says he will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. Now look, verse 10. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. Isn't that something to bless the Lord for? Remember, Psalm 103 starts with, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. And this is one of the things he says. He hath not dealt with us, verse 10, after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. We can be thankful for that. If we got our just due or what we deserve, we wouldn't be as happy as we are. God is merciful. He says in verse 11, For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is His mercy toward them that fear Him. Give me mercy instead of justice. I don't want God to be just. God is just in His dealings, and He deals with us in justice in some ways through Christ, and He's justified in extending His mercy because Jesus has paid the penalty for sin. And otherwise, we could not be have God's mercy extended to us. He says, mercy toward them that fear him. Verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far as they removed our transgressions from us. Now look at verse 13. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him, reverence him. Fear him is to reverence him. And it says, for he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. He knows our frame. He knows we're weak. He remembereth that we are dust. And so God deals with us considering the fact that we uh, have to be dealt with, uh, with in mercy instead of uh, his hot displeasure or his anger because we would suffer uh, a great deal in that way. So we have divine rebuke in verse 1. Back in our text, Psalm 6, the first verse is divine rebuke. Divine rebuke. That's what we've been talking about. Whether it's in the form of rebuking in God's anger or whether it's in the form of, of his divine rebuke as far as the troubles and uh, problems that arise to us, sickness or, or uh, death or whatever may come, uh, sometimes we have to realize that we don't understand it all, but we still trust in God. And then in verse 2, mercy sought. Notice the grounds of his plea in verse 2. It is, I am weak. He says, have mercy upon me, O Lord, for I am weak. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are vexed. The, the mercy that's sought here. He says, I am weak. In 2 Corinthians 12, verse 10, I want to read this for you. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 10. It says this. Paul says, Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions. Paul, you take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. And then on uh, down in, uh, if you'll notice uh, what is concerning, remember he had a thorn in the flesh for which he besought the Lord thrice. Uh, he was The thorn in the flesh was a messenger of Satan, verse 7. Uh, to buffet me, Paul says, lest I should be exalted above measure. Lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. He prayed that God would remove this thorn in the flesh. And we're not going to go into what it is. Some say it was uh, his eyesight. Some say it was an eye affliction, eye problems. 
Some say it was uh, of a different nature, a spiritual nature. We don't know what it was. But we do know that Paul didn't want it, and it was a messenger of Satan to buffet him, to keep on uh, just eating away at him. And he besought the Lord that he would remove it. And it says in verse 9, And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. He says, Most gladly, therefore, will I uh, rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So that helps us to understand that some of the things that happen to us that we don't uh, approve of, that, are, that we uh, feel that are detrimental to us, maybe are for our good. And Paul says, I learned after I asked God to remove it three times, and he would not remove it. And God said, my grace is sufficient for thee. You know, God's grace is abounding, superabounding. And it's sufficient in every hour of our trial or sickness or suffering or death. And it is sufficient for us. And we need to realize that God can make His grace sufficient in every hour of need. If we don't, we, we just don't realize that God knows all and we know very little. And the things that happen to us sometimes are mysterious. We don't understand it. None of us want to have sickness. None of us want to have trials. None of us want to lose a loved one. None, none of us want to uh, lose someone that's dear and near to us. And we don't understand why. There may, not, there may never be an answer this side of heaven. And so, uh, we don't know. And uh, I hate to bring it up, but you know, all of you know that Shami's lost her husband. Children lost their dad. And uh, Leisha lost a sweet brother. And uh, I, but I relate to myself. I lost a very dear, sweet daughter, and I'll never understand why. I prayed that I wouldn't lose her. I didn't want to lose her, and I don't understand why. She was one of God's children, loved the Lord, tried to serve God. Others do. We don't understand it. Let me give you a verse of scripture. Maybe this will help. And this is just off the the uh, top of. Let's see if I can find it. Psalm, I mean, not Psalm, but Isaiah 57. I want you to read Isaiah 57, verse 1 and 2. Verse 1 is the main thing. Isaiah 57, verse 1. It says, The righteous perisheth. The righteous perisheth. Isaiah 57. Did I say Psalm? I said Isaiah is what it is. Isaiah 57, verse 1. Okay. The righteous perisheth, and no man layeth it to heart. And merciful men are taken away, unconsidering that the righteous is taken away from the evil to come. See, sometimes we know things as they are, and we say it's terrible, but we don't know things that could have been. It says they're taken away from the evil to come. Sometimes things can be far worse, now listen, permit me to say this, than death. Sometimes things can be are worse than death. Because the Bible says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. Precious. And so we have to understand some things. Back in Psalm 6, and I didn't mean to preach a sermon on that, but notice how that in verse 2, Have mercy upon me, says, O Lord, for I am weak. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are vexed. And then the next verse, he says, My soul is also sore vexed. It's one thing to be physically vexed and another thing to be spiritually vexed. So, David was vexed. He was in trouble. He needed healing. 
great physician is the healer. Sometimes we're heart sick and we need inward healing as well as we're physically diseased or hurting or have problems. And we need physical healing, but sometimes we're heart sick and we need spiritual healing. Remember, we preached this morning, Jesus said in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth peace. We need that spiritual peace that comes. He was vexed. He was in trouble. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. David was an object of pity. He did not plead his past goodness or greatness, but he says, O Lord, have mercy upon me, O Lord, for I am weak. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are vexed. That's verse 2. Heal me, for my bones are vexed. Talking about physical maladies. After David, we talk about the physical malady he is praying about here. Heal me, for my bones are vexed. And then he said in verse 3, My soul is also sore vexed. My soul. A spiritual malady is worse than physical sometimes. Remember what after David had sinned in the sight of God in Psalm 51, he began to pray his repentant. That's the repentant psalm of David after he had sinned against God. And he sinned terribly against God. And God brought judgment upon his, him and his household. And David said, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. Psalm 51, verse 1. According to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. He pleaded for spiritual healing there. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Just later on, down in the psalm, against thee and thee only have I sinned, done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and clear when thou judgest. There, purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. The Lord is able to cleanse us. He says, Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. He says, Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. And then he said, Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. You know how sinners are converted? By your example of restoration and the presence of God in your life. And if you will let God lead and guide you, you'll find that you'll be of, of an influence and a witness whenever the time comes for you to speak out. We're not always to be speaking. Sometimes we're to be living. And then when the time comes for us to speak, make sure that the life lives up to the speech, right? And so if we do not uh, live the Christian life, we will not be much of an influence uh, Upon others. I remember the psalm that I taught last week, and Louise uh, listened to, she always listens to the message on tape when I bring it home, and I quoted from Spurgeon. Let's see if I can get the message. And she liked the quote, and I gave it to her again because she didn't remember the words after I quoted it on the tape. And uh, I believe Spurgeon said, Rest assured that Christ will not live in the parlor of our hearts. If we entertain the devil, listen, in the cellar of our thoughts. And if we don't get our thoughts and our mind and our hearts, uh, uh, our lives straightened out, the Lord was not going to live in our hearts. And so we need to, that's a quote from C.H. Spurgeon. 
Okay, let's look at verse 3. Here's soul agony. We had uh, mercy sought in verse 2. Now, verse 3 says soul agony. My soul is also sore vexed, but, but thou, O Lord, how long? Notice, it seems like he's interrupted. He just says, thou, O Lord, how long? How long am I going to be physically vexed? How long am I going to have my soul sore vexed? Seemed like that God wouldn't answer anything. Oh, Lord, how long? How long is this going to continue? Soul agony is worse than physical pain. I want to count the number of times that uh, David says, Oh, Lord, in this chapter. I think there's four or five times. Time flies when we're happy, but moves slowly in times of sorrow. How long? David is in such agony that he, is, uh, he did not complete the sentence. How long? We might... Say, how long, as we, the cry of pain in our bodies and anguish will say, how long? How long am I going to endure this pain and this anguish? The cry of, the, of sins and the burden that sin brings will say, how long am I going to be burdened down with sin? Don't have to be burdened, burdened very long with sin because Jesus said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You don't have to be burdened down very long with sin. None of us do. I'm thankful that there's a relief valve from, for sin, aren't you? And that relief valve is coming to Jesus. That valve that, that relieves the pressure of sin in our lives and the burden of sin in our lives is trusting the Lord with, with everything. And, and any one of us can do it. Jesus said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to earn it. I'm going to give it to you free, free of charge. It's just a matter of surrender on our part. You say, my heart is stirred because of my sin, the burden of my sin. All you have to do is turn it over to the Lord. That's simple. It's not hard. Say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Trust me. The Lord wants to wants you to trust Him. Put your faith and trust in the Lord. So, he says, how long? By the way, the soul's under the altar in the book of Revelation. Let me read this for you. In the book of Revelation, chapter 6 and verse 10, it says, They cried, by the way, let me read verse 9. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. During the tribulation, many will be killed for, for their testimony for Christ. And for the word of God and the testimony that they held, and these under the altar in the presence of God, this is during the tribulation period, they'd already been killed and taken up to heaven in the presence of the Lord. And these souls under the altar of God cried out, listen, they cried out with, uh, they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord? Holy and true. They were crying uh, the same thing that David cried, only as far as, uh, God uh, vindicating them. How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? In other words, it seemed like that those that had brought trouble to them during the tribulation, and even to the point of death, that they were slain. And these souls under the altar, it seems like that God would never judge and avenge those that had brought it, uh, their destruction. And they said, how long? And God gave them an answer. He says, you just wait a while. Till your brethren, the same as you are, will be uh, take will suffer these things, and then he says the time will come. You know, God is not uh, real anxious to bring judgment, but He will sooner or later, and it'll come. Okay, back in our psalm, and we could 
preach a whole sermon on that uh, Revelation 6.10 and on down there in that context, but we will not. Okay, we find in verse 3, My soul also is sore vexed, but thou, O Lord, how long? In verse 4, look at verse 4. It says, Return, O Lord, deliver my soul. Return, O Lord, deliver my soul. O save me for thy mercy's sake. David felt that he had been deserted by the Lord. He said, Lord, return. Come on back. You know, it's a pretty lonely thing to be deserted of friends, but it's far more lonely to feel deserted of God. If God is close by, you know, you want friends. You want to have fellowship. But I tell you, the one that's missed most, if there is a broken fellowship between you and God, then there's really, really a gap there, isn't there? That's why uh, we encourage you to come, hear God's Word, be taught the Word of God, stay right with God in prayer. Uh, The things I gave you this morning to live a victorious life, I believe, could have been helpful. I hope some of you took them to heart. But the thing about it is, we need to to realize that, that it's up to us if we're going to have the fellowship that we need. And God wants to be close to us. But David says, Return, O Lord, deliver my soul. O say... Oh, save me for thy mercy's sake. For thy mercy's sake. So he's seeking deliverance. He did not plead for justice, but for mercy. No, we're not worthy of the least of God's mercies. He pleads for the Lord's glory. He could not continue his praise to the Lord if he was destroyed. And uh, David led others to give thanks, but this would all cease if he was to die. And the next verse tells us about that. Look at this. He says, For in death there is no remembrance of thee. In the grave, who shall give thee thanks? David was destroyed. He couldn't uh, continue to praise the Lord. He could not give thanks. But this would all cease for to die. This does not mean that all who are dead are are in an unconscious state. That means simply that David, out of this life, could not render the praise that he could in this life. We know that when we die, we depart and be with the Lord. Every child of God departs to be with Christ. And his spirit goes to be with God. And then in verses 6 through 8, we find grief expressed. Look in verse 6 through 8. He says, I am weary with my groaning. All night make I my bed to swim. I water my couch with my tears. Mine eye is consumed because of grief. It waxeth old because of all mine enemies. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity, for the Lord hath heard the voice of my weeping. His grief is expressed here. David was to a breaking point. In verse 6, I am weary with my groaning. All the night make I my bed to swim. I water my couch with my tears. In other words, he just cried so many tears. He flooded his bed. He was unable to sleep. Groaning in tears. Mentions in verse 8, For the Lord hath heard the voice of my weeping. Weeping has a voice. You remember when we studied the fifth psalm? It says uh, in verse 2, just glance back to the fifth one. It says, Hearken unto the voice of my cry. We said a cry to God has a voice. And in this chapter 6 in verse uh, verse 8, it says, uh, The Lord hath heard the voice of my weeping. Crying has a voice and weeping has a voice. When we come to the breaking point, David was to the breaking point. Some, someone says, well, I just don't know what to do. 
It may be the best thing in the world. If you come to the place, you don't know what to do, and you'll turn it over to God, and He'll show you what to do. It says, commit thy works unto the Lord. Listen, you know how, what the answer is? Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. What does that mean? That means you'll know what to do when you turn it all over to God. That means He'll tell you what to do. He'll straighten it out. And you'll know what to do. So David says, uh, I am weary with my groanings. All night make I my bed to swim. I water my couch with my tears. Mine eyes consume because of grief. Do you ever get in such a, a grievous state that you're... Uh, it says, Mine eyes consume because of grief. It waxeth old because of all mine enemies. Are the enemies multiplied so around about you? David desired to be alone, at least from the, that from his enemies. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. Per se, depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. About breaking company with those that uh, that are sinners and that are wicked and that are not uh, living right. Uh, here, David says, depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. Sometimes we think we have a better idea. I'm still answering some questions that I got. We think that if we'll hobnob with the wicked, uh, get this, that we can win them. You won't win them that way. You won't win them that way. Because of this reason. Listen carefully now. You see, you still have a sinful nature, even though you're a child of God. And, and you have something that will respond to their lust, their sinful pleasures, their way of doing. You have something still in you, even though you're a child of God, that will respond. But they do not have the new nature that will respond to the way you want to live. See, you've got two strikes against you to start with. Now, the, only way, the best way to win those that are ungodly or sinful or atheistic or will not have anything to do with the Lord is for you to live a life before them, a Christian life, and when the opportune time comes to give your witness that when you speak, they'll know that your life measures up to what you say. And they will believe you then. But if they, if they think, well, I can get that Christian person, if I can get that one to do what I do, well, then certainly they're no better than I am then. If you will yield to to going along with them in their lustful and pleasurable things, then they say, well, they're no better than I am. I'm just as good as they are, even though they profess to be a Christian. Well, you're not going to win them that way. I have a chance. Now then, you should witness to any person that's unsaved when the opportune time comes. But let the Holy Spirit lead you. The Bible says... Do not cast your pearls before swine, lest they turn again and rend you and trample them under, under your feet. You go out here, and I've been out, and Randy has too. We go out in public a lot together. And when we're out with people, there's certain people that we'll give a word of invitation to come to church, or we'll uh, speak about uh, praying for them, or we'd like to tell them, uh, just quote a scripture from the Bible. And, you know, you can tell almost immediately if they turn a deaf ear, they don't want to hear anything about, Preacher, don't bother me with inviting me to church, like I said the other night. Instead of saying, I was glad when they said unto me, come to the house of the Lord. Some say, I was mad when you said that. And a lot of people get mad when you invite them to church. 
But you see, if they throw up that wall of resentment, you just as well be quiet for the moment. Now, there may be another time that when their heart's broken and when they need prayer, that they, they will come around and that you can say, okay, friend, I'll, I'll try to help you if they're willing. See, Jesus didn't save the world. If he had, we wouldn't be here today preaching the gospel. He said, preach the gospel. And it's to be preached to every creature. And we're to send missionaries around the world. But we're not to force people. We cannot force people. It must be on a willing heart, from a willing heart. We can tell them that the Lord will save. We can tell them that Jesus says, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We can tell them the good news of the gospel, that Christ died for our sins, and He was buried and rose again, and He was delivered for our offenses to the cross and raised again from the tomb for our justification. And we'll have God's righteousness if we believe, but we cannot force that upon anybody. You must believe that Jesus is your Savior and He died for you. Man, woman, boy, girl, doesn't make any difference who you are. So, uh, David said, depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. And so, the thing about it is, you do not associate. We preached on separation this morning. That's why a lot of people don't have any confidence in Christians. You're not separated. They just hobnob with all those that do the same things uh, that we're not supposed to do. Now, if you go around to the... Uh, drinking places or the gambling places or the places of pleasure and lust that other people go to, do you think that you have a ghost of a chance of telling that person you're a good Christian, you're trying to live for God? You don't have a chance in this world. The only way you can do is, is to keep your life clean and then when the opportune time comes to be a true witness to them, tell them about Jesus. That he's the one that's changed your life. The Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is a, what? New creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things will become new. There's a difference in your life if you're a child of God. You don't do the things that other people do. And if you're going to do them, you're not going to win them. Okay? Let's go on down. It says in verse uh, 9, the Lord hath heard. By the way, if you notice verse 8, it says, for the Lord hath heard the voice of my weeping. Now, it says in verse 9, The Lord hath heard my supplication. The Lord will receive my prayer. Notice how David starts out the psalm. Divine rebuke. He says, Rebuke me not in thine anger. Verse 2, He seeks for God's mercy. Verse 3, It's soul agony. And verse uh, 4 and 5, Return. He, deliverance is sought. And verse uh, 6 through 8, uh, there, This is a great breaking point, And David was... His grief is expressed in verse 9 and 10. Praise is offered. He says, God had heard me. You see, sometimes we, we give up before God hears. So you get in verse 9 and 10, it says, The Lord hath heard my supplication. The Lord will receive my prayer. Let all the enemies, uh, let all mine enemies be ashamed and sore vexed. Let, I've been vexed. He said, my, 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 uh, uh, he was physically vexed. My bones are vexed in verse uh, 2. He says, my soul is also sore vexed in verse 3. But he says, let all mine enemies be ashamed and sore vexed. He says, let God's judgment give them what they deserve. Be, uh, let them return and be ashamed suddenly. He wanted them to return. And you see, the thing about it is, in these two verses, the Lord hath heard. By the way, when he says, the Lord hath heard. The word there, five times in this chapter, in, in four verses, we found the word 
the Lord or Jehovah when it's written in the Old Testament in capitals. And of course, you don't have it here in the English translation, but it means Jehovah in every case. His glorious name is full of consolation. And how frequently David pleads that name Jehovah. Just because we use it here doesn't mean we're Jehovah's witnesses, so to call it. Jehovah is a genuine biblical name that has a great deal of meaning. And don't let these guys that go around with their false doctrine rob the name of a holy, glorious name of God. His glorious name is full of consolation. It means eternity, infinity, immutability, self-existence. All are in the name, and all are full of comfort. He's the eternal one. He's the infinite one. He's the immutable one. He will not change his mind, his ways. He's dependable, and he's self-existent. And, and David finds a great deal here of consolation in saying, he says, the Lord hath heard my supplication. The Lord will receive my prayer. And he knew that this would come directly from God. And he offered praise. David's prayer was heard, and it was answered. And David's hope 